Hello and welcome to BB On The Record, this podcast from British Bandsmen. I'm Mark Good, editor of British Bandsmen, and in this episode I chat to John Barber as he reflects on 25 years as the principal trombonist of Foden's band. John takes us back in time to his first rehearsal with the Sandbatch organisation and looks back on his favourite moments with the band, from contest successes to unforgettable performances at the Royal Northern College of Music Brass Band Festival, and even a rather sticky situation for a member of his trombone section. He also discusses his wider musical life, from reluctant trombonist to the 10 quid gig which led to him spending a year in Monte Carlo performing with the stars. All that, and he picks his piece of the podcast. But first, how has he been faring during a year like no other? I'm absolutely fine. Thank you very much indeed. Life, like for so many, has been unusual. We've been uh, one of the luckier um, families in that both my wife and I are teachers. So we've been able to have our our little people in at school and at nursery, which means the the undoubted severe life-threatening challenges of home learning have not been across our particular doorstep um and we are extremely grateful for that so yes we're 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 okay thank you very much john banding as we know it may have been put on hold but your band fodens has been pretty active during the past few months with various lockdown projects we've seen the distance banding videos we've had online solo competitions a virtual whit friday and plenty more besides how do you feel the band has adapted to what has been rather a challenging period. I think the band has um, adapted really, really well. It's always uh, frustrating when you can't do it in person um, and you can't get together. When I when I joined Foden's band uh, a million years ago, um, we uh, we nobody lived in the town of Sandbach. That was it, with the exception of Jimmy Charles, the band librarian. Everybody else travelled in from Manchester or whatever. Um, now somewhere about about a third or, or two fifths of the band live in or around Sandbach, and we've all built our lives around the band. And our children go to the local schools, and um, it's it's had this. Kind kind of gravitational pull to the town so by not being a band it means that our social networks and and circles have, have changed dramatically as well and as you say we've all we've all moved online both both yeah. in terms of playing and socially um so i think so having to adapt has it's just been something you've had to do a bit like a a cockroach, I suppose, after a nuclear war, you you just find a way to to survive. And um, I think Foden's have been as as cockroach-like as as any band. Um, we are we're really pleased that we were able to secure through the good work of Mark Wilkinson some and and Carol Crompton some funding from Arts Council to to undertake some projects. Uh, and as you, as you mentioned, uh, the virtual Whit Friday was it was an absolute joy to um, sit back and and have a little bit of normality in your front room and watch bands from across around the world take part. That was a, a great joy the solo competition again was was really enjoyable to to watch and to be part of and we've we've composed pieces and we've um, we've we've really tried our best to i think give a little bit back i think we realize um our phones and the other top bands that you know you're only as as valuable as as people want you to to, to listen to you and to to be part of it so if we're in a position rarely to to give a bit back to the movement and to help and support and encourage and just say keep on going it won't be that long then then it's, it's good that we've been able to do that a little bit Well, let's look at your tenure at Foden's because you're reaching rather a significant milestone with the band, celebrating 25 years as a member and indeed principal trombone. 
Many congratulations on, on what's a magnificent feat, but does it feel like 25 years? Um, it depends what time of the day you ask me. Um, sometimes, uh, as you know, Mark, uh, having little people, you know, it's less like when someone says, how old do you feel? Sometimes you feel about 150 and other times you feel 21. Do it, does it feel like 25 years with, with phones? In all honesty, no, it doesn't. I remember um, going along to my very first rehearsal. I remember going along. I remember the very first piece we played, uh, Chi. I was due to take over on solo trombone from Nick Hudson, uh, but I went down to depth for, for Mike Fowles, who was the second trombone player then. And uh, I remember sitting in the rehearsal and I remember my jaw hitting the floor as the band played flawlessly through some sight reading that, that Howard Snell handed out, uh, which was this piece, Chi. And uh, at the start of it, trombones have about 10 bars rest and then you're in. And uh, I was basically going to miss my entry because I was just watching around the band at these people sight reading incredibly well and just not believing what I was seeing. And then I got kicked by Nick Hudson and he still says it was a nudge, but the truth is he kicked me and uh, shouted at me. He said, you're in. And I went, oh, crikey. And, uh, and I, and I joined in and I, um, you know, I, whilst I'm not scarred physically, emotionally, I think, um, you know, uh, that, that moment has uh, stayed with me clearly for a quarter of a century. Uh, but I do remember it and it's gone, it genuinely has gone really, really quickly. How did the opportunity to get involved in the band come about? Where were you in your life at that point and what was the connection to getting you to the band? I was a student at the Royal Northern College of Music. Uh, I was in my second year going into my third year at the RNCM. Previously to that I was signed with a band who no longer exists called the Trafford Band um, and I then were asked to join uh, Black Dyke Band by uh, by Bob Childs and Jim Watson um, and I spent three months with with, with with Black Dyke over the Christmas period, uh, sort of November, December, January, and then hadn't actually signed with them. I was playing over the Christmas period because Chris Jeans had just left their band. And then I was, um, like many students at the RSM, I was beckoned across the refectory by Howard Snell, who was uh, such an iconic, as we know, iconic figure, uh, both in banding, but also at the Royal Northern in terms of their course. And he, he beckoned me over and said, have you signed for that Black Dyke band yet? And I said, uh, no, I, I haven't yet. And he said, I would like you to join my band. So I said, oh, OK. Um, and um, he explained that Nick Hudson was was about to to leave the band. Uh, you know, the fantastic player that he was, he was off to undertake a solo career. And uh, I think he also actually went to, to Leyland Band at the time. And he said, I would like you to come and, and take over from Nick. So um, that was kind of how it happened. So I, I went down and um, uh, there was thankfully no audition process. I'm sure I would have been far too nervous. He just announced me that I was I was joining the band and um, that was it. And then, and then Nick kicked me and the rest is history. So. so you went in and you were taking over from Nick and in some ways those were pretty big shoes to fill. Did that ever play on your mind or was it just a case of going in and doing your job to the best of your ability? I, although I spent a quarter of a century playing for phones, I'm not from a brass band background, so I wasn't really aware of the significance of the chair that I was sitting in. I was always aware since I went to Manchester, and I remember hearing phones a couple of times from that dyke, and I remember being aware of what a, what a great player Nick is. Um, you know, I was about to say was, but you know, he's still with us, thankfully. Um, but I, I always knew what a great player Nick was, uh, is. Um, however. That that kind of history and um, the weight, if you like, of 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 those that seat and the band and, and Black Dyke, it's never been something that that I had up until probably until I was part of it, been aware of. I was brought up in a youth orchestra, um, and then I went along and I just 
I think partly that's why I was so gobsmacked when I was the very first rehearsal, because you're just not used to it. You're just not used to 25 people reading stuff flawlessly at speed um, in an orchestra, just in a youth orchestra, anyway, from where I was from. So, um, no, I wasn't I wasn't aware of it. That knowledge and um, responsibility is something that over time has become more and more apparent. You do, you do get some nerves. Um, I, I remember my second contest, I think, with Howard was at the Cambridge Masters, and it was him at Sunrise. When I joined the band, my second trombone player was Mike Fowles, and uh, Frosty, Mark Frost was the bass trombone player, so that was the that was the section, and they they make a, a tremendous noise. And it was made very very clear to me early on by them what my job was. So um, there was a load of experience, and they basically said, "Don't worry about all the this 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 grunting and noise and all the rest of it. You just sit there and play all the high notes and make it sound pretty. That's your job." So I said, "Okay." <laughs> so that was it. And um, and when you've just got nothing to worry about with just the great players that they are, uh, it actually makes it. A much easier job you know because it like everything else in life is about having a team isn't it everyone's got a responsibility everyone looks after each other everybody you know covers someone's low notes or high notes or whatever and as long as at the end of it what what everyone hears is is broadly speaking what they should hear then that's okay but yeah it was made very very clear what what my job was and what i needed to do it's natural that personnel will change a little bit over time what's it like when a new member's coming into the team we know how close-knit a trombone section tends to be musically, but also maybe the aspects of getting to know each other. You're a great trombone, bass trombone player yourself, and, you know, you've played in in top bands. You you know that um, as as much as anything else, the playing, when you get to that level, is, 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 is what it is. It's about the personality. It's about getting on with people. And, um, you know, music colleges do a great job, and there are an awful lot of very, very talented trombone players around and um and you know and for that reason alone i think we all when we're in these bands still can't quite believe that we're we're still in them you know uh, but there are an awful lot of people but it is it is about having a team so when you're right when somebody comes in it's more to do with much more to do with can you tolerate sitting next to and enjoy sitting next to this person for what might be a year two years ten years as much as anything else so currently our second trombone player nick um nick birch he was a he was a student at, at my school at, uh, at sandbach school he came in as a as a as a baritone player um and then changed onto euphonium he was then principal euphonium of the national youth brass band of great britain and then latterly studied a master's on trombone at the royal northern college of music and uh, we'd said to him all along just go on to trombone go on to trombone and um then he did and uh when he finished that masters it just it just so happened that the um the previous second trombone player left the band and then um so there was a seat available so so uh, nick nick came in you know i think people get hung up on whether they solo trombone or second trombone and whether second trombone should be so everyone's got a job to do you know and there's a real skill to play in second trombone and um i i couldn't do what Nick does. I couldn't do what many of the second drum players come in and do. You know, Paul Taylor was a fantastic second drum player. And, um, you know, we, we phoned him up two weeks before an open when someone's gone ill and he's not played the trombone for three years and he'll come in and he just puts it on his face. He's great for 10 minutes in the first wrestle, then it dies. But after that, he builds up pretty quick. But he, he just knows what to do. He knows how to use his ears. He knows how to balance. And the job is fill the gap. You know, the meat of the sandwich, you know, you get everyone else in tune. The other reason why he fits in, going back to your point, is that he's just easy to get on with and that's what you want you don't you don't want to be spending your life kind of worrying about what you're saying or what they're saying and you just want nice people 
In the course of your time with the band so far, I'm sure you probably have a wealth of highlights to call upon, so this might be quite a tricky question. Are you able to pick out any real standout moments, whether on the contest or concert stages or anywhere else? I mean, a certain double perhaps springs to mind from 2012, that British Open and Nationals victory, but what do you think? Yeah, that was a that was a great year. It was the Electra, I think, and then uh, with the British Open, and then uh, Alan conducted Alan Withington conducted us on. It was Daphnis and Chloe, I seem to remember at the uh, the Nationals, and yeah, that was a that was a that was a, an amazing, amazing moment. And again, not something that having not been brought up in brass bands, I was aware of. You know, the the, the history of how many people had done it or or rest of it, and, but just great that the band put a great show on and, and were really together. Um, for me. The, the couple of things that stick out, I was really lucky that I had a concerto written for me. In fact, I've had it over, two or three over, over the last 25 years. Um, the, the one by Andy Scott, he wrote a piece called uh, Molecular Cocktail Party. And um, it was for improvising musician. Um, and I got to play this at the Royal Northern College of Music at the Festival of Brass um, about five or six years ago. At the end of it, fairly euphoric that got through it um in the build-up to it it was probably the scariest thing i'd ever had to do uh it's 25 minutes of playing i was on piano and trombone uh with very 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 little instruction from andy on the on the part the first minute was written out and after that it was a section of because there were some chord symbols in the last movement there was um some words of inspiration uh, it, listen to the tuba respond here and 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 that there's a really personal thing about um a bit like sharing your own poetry with someone because you don't know when you're improvising or, or sharing musical ideas like composing in effect um you don't know how people can respond so when you're doing that off cuff in front of a, a kind of fairly learned audience it was a, a a fairly frightening experience but i'm really glad that i went through the process so that that in terms of a, a personal challenge and a i didn't sound like a complete idiot was a was a moment um, and i think the other one was probably also uh festival of brass we recorded uh we performed bram tovey's requiem for a charred skull uh with the rncm chorus and this was um all to do with the bosnia uh, war and um a bunch of soldiers who sadly got put in a house and, and burned and then somebody held up a there's a photograph of a, of a soldier with a with a charred skull as some sort of gruesome wartime memento and uh, it made the front page of the news and he wrote this um this requiem um you know spurned on by this this horrible image and uh, it's a really moving piece and i remember we played it at the rcm and that was uh, that was just that, and that's what it's about isn't it it's about it's about emotions it's kind of where you do stuff in it it's about getting moved by something you know and uh, that was a moment Really interesting when I chat to people how often the RNCM Brass Band Festival crops up. Of course, it wasn't able to happen in its usual format this year. Is that something that you always look forward to? We do. We, we, we're really honoured at Foden's that we get to do it every year. And um, it's um, it's something we certainly don't take for granted, uh, but something we really enjoy taking part in. When, when the programmes are created, and I've, I've chatted to Paul Highmarsh quite a lot about this, when the programmes are created, it's a bit of a double-edged sword. You know that very often over the Christmas period, we don't always play quite as much as we should do. Um, and therefore, when at the end of the third weekend in January, after you've come back at the end of the first week in January, there are five massive test pieces that you've got to play. Um, there is a genuine sense of standing at the foothills of Everest and looking up and going, how on 
earth are we going to get through this so so yeah in terms of getting the band booted into into gear for for the year and on obviously those musical experiences it, it's fantastic but uh, it, it can be hard work to get there in time sometimes you know but but yeah we're really grateful for being part of it john you've had this tenure now 25 years plus of receiving everything composers can throw at you let's imagine you're sitting there in your first trombone chair at Foden's and you're given the part for the latest Europeans piece or whatever it happens to be. Has the writing changed, do you think? I think it has. I think that we, we're now at a point where there's almost no holds barred, you know, and uh, and as you get older, Mark, I know you're still a young man yourself, uh, but as you, as you get older, your 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 approach can change as well. And I, I remember when I first joined Foden's, I wanted the solos i wanted i was like come on bring it on year of the dragon let's go let me show you what i can do and um i have these conversations with mark wilkinson regularly what the very first thing that happens now is the new test piece comes around and you find yourself for very different reasons frantically flicking through and then you you notice that there's a solo on the last page and and a small part of you dies inside um, because <laughs> you know that because you know on the contest stage what you be thinking about is the first 18 minutes <laughs> until that bit's over and then you can go oh thank goodness for that um, but in terms of the writing it is it is tricky I mean I, I remember the, the, the Nationals test piece a couple of years ago you know that, that trombone solo that was in the middle of the Kenneth Downey thing you know the idea of the whole band stopping and then you have to sort of slide up to a top D and E and 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 it just just being oh it's not a big thing it's just come on you can play it it's like that's that's quite a big ask for for, for anybody and certainly some of the the fast fast technical playing that's just written uh, for for trombone players to try and do it's so far removed from from the stuff that was being written 20 30 years ago so yeah it's it's not getting easier i suppose would be the headline now if we take a little look around many of the elite bands we'll usually see some very fine conductors involved in foden's case there have been some absolute superstars who have worked with the band it's like a who's who of great musicians and in relatively recent times we can point to Russell Gray to Nicholas Childs Bram Tovey John Wallace Alan Withington Howard Snell Gary Cutt and that's before we even get to Mike Fowles who does so much for the band as well how have you enjoyed working with some of these names you mentioned Howard Snell earlier on how have they influenced you as a musician the band the band changed direction a little bit after howard left uh, in fact not after howard left so so howard did everything so howard was was res- resident professional whatever the terminology was md he did everything all rehearsals all concerts all contests and that continued when um philip mccann came to the band then and then nick charles similarly he did everything uh, it was only after nick nick left we then started moving more towards this idea of having somebody to get the nuts and bolts in place and then somebody to come and you know, as, as other bands do, to come and do a couple of weeks before a contest and take it forward. What I've learned from from all of them, or, or rather I've had underlined to me from all of them, is that the best way to get the best thing out of a bunch of people is to respect them, is not to raise your voice, is not to shout and scream, but is to just gently and politely just underline what you what you want to happen um have a clear musical goal and, and people will always respond better it's the carrot and stick thing you know carrots are better than sticks they're a lot more orange and a lot tastier and um as you mentioned some of those names there the likes of bram tovey you know you know it's just brilliant it's great fun you know, yes it's daft that, that somebody who's been conducting the new york philharmonic orchestra or the boston or the chicago or whatever are 
it you know, happens to be in your band room in Sandbach and um, taking you through this this test piece. Um, but it's it's an absolute joy and a and a pleasure. But yeah, it's what what they all have, regardless of what their backgrounds is and context is, where they get the best out of the band is through through being prepared, is through being civil and nice and all the rest of it. And where it doesn't work is when um, as and you know we, we all know and we've all sadly had experiences where. Um, some of those um, expectations or desires from some conductors are are kind of meted in a in a slightly different way that they're um, they're a bit more forceful and uh, unsurprisingly you know that doesn't always resonate well with people and they switch off. Now you started to touch on this one earlier. Twenty five years, I'm afraid to say, is quite a long time. Um, there will have obviously been a change of personnel during that time, but how would you say the band or the organisation has changed? I know you mentioned earlier about more of the band being connected and being rooted in the local area? I, I believe one of the strengths of Folks Band is we've always had a, a player committee. So um, we uh, we have eight of us currently who are uh, on the committee of the Folks Band. And we have a board of trustees that are, that are separate. But it's always been about, and it goes back to one of the questions you asked earlier about um, the type of character of the person in the band. Folks has always been remarkably stable. And um, as you look around the stand, um, if you were to have a guess about uh, how many of the band have been together for 10 plus years, I would say the majority, vast majority of the band have been 10 plus years. Uh, And then for 15 plus years, there's probably another seven players in the band have been there 15 years. And then there's a few of us who are over over 20 years. And I think it's because it's player led. And, um, you know, you're always making sure when someone comes to the band, it's that first question. Are they going to rock the boat? Are they going to cause a problem? And if there's any doubts about it, maybe let's just look in another direction so we don't create ourselves problems. Um, the band has changed. We've we've all grown up. We've all got um, a little bit older. We've uh, a bunch of us have got little people now. Um, as I mentioned, a lot of us now gravitate towards our hometown. Um, not all of us, but a lot of us do do live in or around Sandbach or Middlewich or the local area. And our children go to school here, and uh, that that is that is great. You know, it, make, it makes you realise more when you're not a band how much you you miss that social interaction and and you know just just being with people. But that that I think is the significant thing that's changed over the time is just that people have opted to build their lives around a band rather than having a life and get band to fit around it. So it's kind of done a bit of a flip. When you look back on those experiences with those people in the band, have there been some daft moments, some stories which perhaps still bring a smile to your face, or perhaps some particularly poignant moments which really stay with you we all enjoy going off uh, on a on a tour we all enjoy going off uh, having a having a band trip on a bus down to a contest i think it's just the, it's the, the getting away and the social enjoyment those are those are the things i remember um we had a pre- uh, i'm not sure this is enjoyment but i, I remember we had a previous uh, one of our previous bass trombone players the lovely uh, toby bannan um i remember we were in a, a dig somewhere i think it might be in holland or or germany or, or somewhere on a tour and uh, toby was irish dancing in the bedroom i think he'd had a some refreshment and uh, i remember he was he was irish dancing and he on on the bed and he sort of jumped across one or two of them and then we were only on the first floor thankfully and then he, he sort of slipped and, and went through through the window and uh, smashed this window and then was um pivoting on his on his belly uh, on on the window ledge <laughs> um and uh, thankfully because he had some refreshment some of some of the undoubted pain that he would have been experiencing uh, wasn't wasn't coming 
through to him so much but he he kind of pierced his belly in a couple of places with the bits of glass nothing too bad but i remember um you know we, we couldn't work out what was better was whether to just to, to push him through um because because he was obviously sitting on the glass or pull him back and, and in danger tearing some skin and um i'm not sure why out of 25 years that's the that's the moment <laughs> that sticks with me but there's been many many moments and i suspect Probably some of them aren't best for this podcast, if I'm being honest with you. I think you set the bar high with that one, actually. Now, John, we arrive at your piece of the podcast. This is an opportunity to share a work of your choosing. So tell me why this is featuring in today's podcast. When you asked me to pick a piece, I'm be honest with you, my head went into somewhat of a spin. Um, We get through so much music at band and the idea of picking one out almost seems... um, it, it seems like favoritism to uh, you know which is your best child um so i couldn't do it i was rubbish i copped out so i went for uh, an orchestral piece and um uh, back in the day i used to do quite a lot of freelancing um with uh, orchestras in the northwest um quite a lot with the halle orchestra and one of my best moments i think in terms of highlights was playing uh, brookner's fourth symphony with the Halley Orchestra, you know, we, we get more Brooklyn, don't we, with uh, On the Shoulders of Giants, we get that start from uh, from Peter Graham. So it's great that, that in, a, in a brass band context, you, you get some Brooklyn later on. But I was I was lucky enough to uh, perform Brooklyn 4 with um, the Halley, and that was uh, a real, real joy.
The first movement from Bruckner's Symphony No. 4. That was the sound of the Berlin Philharmonic, conducted by Daniel Barenboim. And it brought back some fond memories for my guest today, Foden's band's principal trombone player, John Barber, who chose it as his piece of the podcast. John, let's turn back the clock a little bit now to your early musical life. How did it all begin for you, and how did you find your way to the trombone? My first musical memory uh, or experience was playing the piano. I attended the local uh, the local Sunday school, and I was a little unfocused and, uh, and asked difficult questions. So my uh, Sunday school teacher also happened to be the local piano teacher. So my parents thought, let's give him piano lessons instead, so he gets a bit of God by proxy, you know, by the teacher. Um, my parents aren't particularly religious. In fact, they're not religious at all. But, you know, it was that thing where, you know, 30, 40 years ago, you'd send your children to Sunday school to see if they took to it. Anyway, I didn't. Um, and it was also the same time that Sesame Street was on, so I was never going to win. Um, so I had piano lessons and I did that for three or four years. That was brilliant. And then I've obviously kept going with that in my second year or third year of primary school my sister who's a year older than me a brilliant trumpet player lives up in scotland um she she had learned the trumpet and she had it for a year back at home and um i then learned the trumpet because it's what younger brothers do you pick it up and uh, we had a, a moment in our primary school where you could try out a brass instrument so um these seven battered instruments were put on the table one of which was the trumpet and i kind of went and I was utterly convinced that I was going to get the opportunity to learn the trumpet. At the end of the day, there was a message went around to all the classes. Can the following people please come to the instrument store cupboard because you're going to get an instrument to learn. And I was very fortunate. My name was on the list. I went to the cupboard at the end of the day. They said, there you go, John. Here's a baritone. And uh, crestfallen uh, doesn't quite cover how I was feeling in that moment. I didn't know what a baritone was. It was one of the instruments that I'd gone uh, on. I had a baritone. Um, anyway, stuck with it. Did uh, I got got managed to get through quite quickly to grade five by the by while still at primary school? Did some dress my sister, and then my trombone teacher Sheila Wyeth at the time said to me, "You need to change it onto trombone because you can only play in a brass band if you play baritone." Now you've got to bear in mind, I live in Hampshire at this point. I don't even know what a brass band is. I don't want orchestras. I just play in a, in a school band, play in a little brass group. Um, so I didn't know the context of what she was saying, let alone how significant it was. So um, my parents, unbeknownst to me, had bought a, a Yamaha trombone, which I still have. And um, in fact, it was the trombone I ended up doing right up to my, my grade eight, this medium ball thing. I couldn't even reach seventh position. That's one of those extender slightings. And um, and she said, look, this is, this is your new instrument. And I didn't want to do it. I didn't touch it for three or four weeks. My parents were desperately sad because they thought I'd just switched off and um i was really upset because all that i could go quickly on a baritone and i i didn't it was relearning i didn't know how to do this slide by slide about anyway eventually because my, my dad basically said i had to i learned how to play the trombone and um <laughs> and uh, and so, so I, I did and i joined the local youth orchestra and then eventually made it into the hampshire the full county borough orchestra i had a lovely lovely time didn't play in a brass band didn't even know what a brass band was until um 
until I was about 17, I had we had a county brass band, Hampshire Youth Brass Band, which was really great. And they were busking on the street and they were playing Pop Goes Park, you know, the ski Sunday thing. And I remember thinking, God, that's really quick. It's really amazing. Got a place up with the RNCM and then the rest is um, it's kind of, well, well, I'm still suffering from the consequences of that. You have this fascinating and very diverse musical history, John, encompassing a background in everything from the orchestral sphere, as you touched upon earlier, to performing with everyone from Eldon John to Rod Stewart. The world of big bands has played a role in your life and you have these quite amazing skills on the piano. Anyone who's seen you sit down at a keyboard and just go will be able to attest to that. Were you always determined to embrace such a wide range of musical opportunities? I think it's just good luck, really. I think it's good luck and listening. The whole going to Monte Carlo for a year thing happened because it, it was good luck. This, this is the truth, right? So I'm in my third year at the RNCM. I'm just finishing my third year at the RNCM. And um, in the summer, there was um, a chap called Les Weddell. And he used to be lead trombone in the Northern Dance Orchestra. It's like the Manchester version of the BBTV back in the 60s. And he did Les Weddell, 21 trombones and friends at Wigan Pier. So it's a bit like Tutti's trombones. There's 21 trombone players all sat around. And he was obviously very desperate. I think I was trombone 19 or something. Like that. And there was a rhythm section. We played through this stuff. And sat next to me was Roz Davies, who's now second trombone at the Halley. And uh, she was a year above me at the RNCM. And uh, so we sat there, we're playing along, and she was due to stand up and play Peanut Bender, uh, the trombone solo. Anyway, for whatever reason, and I, and I don't know what it was, came to the, the, the concert, and this is three o'clock in the afternoon thing on a Sunday afternoon. He's saying, and next piece we're going to play is Peanut Bender. And she picked the music off her stand and popped it in my lap and said, I can't do it. I don't feel well or I don't want to do it or whatever it was. But any reason, she decided she didn't want to do this thing. And um, she said, you, you go and play this piece. So I said, well, he's about to announce your name. This is pretty awkward you know and uh, he, she said just go we'll be fine so i kind of shuffled up the stand and he said quite rightly who are you <laughs> <laughs> so i said oh my name's john um ros doesn't feel too well or she not wanted to do it so she's asked me to to do this thing and it was dead straightforward thought nothing of it it was 10 quid gig sat down and um that was all fine and then a couple weeks later, I got a phone call from the band leader in Monte Carlo, Tony Evans, who said, uh, I'm looking for a trombone player. I've been given your name by Les Weddell. So I was like, I've oh, got that 10 quid gig thing. And he said, do you want to come to um, Monte Carlo and um, do a job playing our band? It's like, what? Uh, I said, well, OK, I just graduated. I have my degree from university, so I was fairly free. And I was I did a thing called the joint course. So you do three years at Manchester University and concurrently four years at the Royal Northern College of Music. So I was just going into my fourth year at the Royal Northern College of Music. But I had my degree and I was just staying on to do all the practical stuff. So uh, I went to college and said, look, I've been offered this three month contract any chance I can go and they went yeah go on then so uh they were very good so I went away for three months and then that contract extended and rolled out and um I went back to the RNCM say look they've they've offered me an extension here they didn't want me to stay so I had to make the decision of so I didn't graduate from the RNCM I've got I've got a degree from the university but I didn't graduate from my performance bit of the RNCM so I decided to stay and then you're right that summer um it was every guest artist you could possibly think of came and worked with the band and that was Amazing Liza Minnelli and um, uh, Gypsy Kings, Paul Anker. I mean, it was just, just, it was just mega. But, but I, I, it was. I think it was as much about good luck and and that saying, yes, you know, can you? Yes, I can. What would you? Yes, I would. And um, you know, eventually, you know, if you keep on saying yes to stuff, um, you know, just through sheer wearing people down, they'll give you a chance. I think. 
wonderful experiences to be able to call upon. And there have been times where we've seen some of these different musical worlds combine. We've seen Foden's collaborate with the wonderful big band singer Matt Ford, for example, and you've been heavily involved in that collaboration. And it's often seen you popping over to the keyboard during the gig. How much have you enjoyed those projects and the different dimensions they bring to the band's performances? I'm very lucky that I've worked with uh, Matt for some 12, 13 years now um, through through his band, um, the A band, uh, Blue Juice was another group we used to work with. And then for the last 11 years, Matt's been coming to, I run a school, my school big band. Uh, Matt's been coming and performing concerts uh, twice a year uh, with the band, which is always a, a great privilege for us to, to work with him. He sends up all of his um, charts from the BBC Big Band and Sid Lawrence. And so the band get to work on these, these original bits of music and it's a real challenge. And as you know, the only way to get better is to play tougher music um so to be able to bring him to collaborate with um with Foden's was it was a real joy the initial thought was it was going to be a Christmas project so we did a thing called Memories of Christmas so um in the first instance it was rearranging rearranging tunes from from the radio or whatever of, 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 of vocal stuff but, the, but his interaction with the audience and the professionalism which he does it and he's um you know it's like a young Bob Monkhouse, you know, he doesn't like me saying that, but, but you know, that, that, that warm and charismatic um, way. And it's something that we as a band, we learn from, as, as you do, you learn from people who are just really good at their craft. And um, so, so that he was able to do that. was, was great. And I think then writing a completely new set of, of, Sinatra and Sammy Davis Jr. and um, Dean Martin stuff to do on a different context was has just given us a bit more flexibility. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a real joy, real joy working with that. I think it's something we all enjoy. And I think any audiences that have been there to see the collaboration in action would really heartily agree. Now, another big part of your musical life, John, is your work in education as director of the Love Music Trust, music education hub for Cheshire East, and director of music at the Sandbatch School. You've also been trombone tutor to the National Youth Brass Bands of Scotland and Great Britain. What is it about educating, encouraging, and that side of life that really spurs you on? Do you know what? If you'd asked that question 25 years ago, I'd have given you a different answer. For, for, for what it's worth, I, I fell into it. Um, it wasn't my plan. Um, I, I think I can be honest enough to say that. Uh, I was doing a master's degree uh, when I got back from Monte Carlo and one of my friends was working at a school and they needed a piano teacher and they said, do you want to come and do some piano teaching? And uh, I was didn't have any money, so I said, yeah, and I quite like teaching piano. So uh, I did that. And whilst there, the head of music, Katie Vies, who's a wife of Tom Vies, the conductor, um, she was head of music and I was teaching piano. And then she said, could you do some composition because i was doing my master's in composition she said could you do some composition work with our a-level students i said yeah don't mind doing that so i was working through some stuff and then she said you should really train as being a teacher cut a long story short i did and then um i wasn't convinced that it was what i wanted to do but after two or three months of doing it i realized i did really enjoy it so it wasn't uh, and also it, it paid a regular wage now that's not the answer i'm going to give you for now but back then when you're used to doing gigs for a living and you're studying and you haven't got much money the idea of having something regular coming in was was really really attractive <laughs> so probably not the sales pitch why should you go and study on a teaching course right but at the time that's that's why i got into it but I suddenly realised I did really, really enjoy it. What it what it gives you through teaching is if if you are so inclined, is that you've got a create and you're creatively minded and um you know my mind sadly works 
very quickly in a number of different directions is that you can you can engage people young people in what you're interested in so you can <laughs> so you can engage them in in big bands you can engage them in writing songs you can engage them in playing in performing and uh, if you're you know if, if you're really really passionate about it you'll find that people are passionate too they want to be engaged and what people just need is a bit of time a bit of nurture a bit of someone saying you can you can do this and a bit of a vision to say well this is where we are this is where we need to go and this is how we're going to get there and this is what it's going to look like but you need to come with me on this journey and i think if, if you could do that you can achieve loads with with people because people are so young people they're so adaptable and open-minded and i think that's what's always attracted me to it because you know when you get to a certain age people go oh, i can't be bothered like, it's too hard but young people like delete it up how do i get there what do i need to do and that's good it's it's, it's like being surrounded by um well not surrounded but you know it's like being working with with people who just want to develop they want to want to say what's next how do i and that's encouraging because it kind of keeps you well may not look like it but fairly youthful you know <laughs> and, and like you've got you've got a reason so no i do i do enjoy it i do enjoy it you know i, I it's really really great watching people want to do something want to get better that's it's kind of heartwarming what have you made of the way that young people in your care have adapted and responded to the challenges of the past few months i i have huge sympathy um for the young people and and, and by, by that i mean the young people i teach at school but also the young people who have left school last couple of years who have then gone into music college or university and the experiences that they're having which is not what they signed up to for the young people that i teach uh, week in week out um they are they're resilient they are finding a way to 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 get by i think some of them are within the immediate environment some of them are understandably um, nervous uh, they're nervous about going back into a place where they should be safe and they you know the schools will do everything they possibly can to to make sure that is the case and schools are brilliant they really have worked their socks off to make sure that that is the case but i think after so so long not being in you get a certain indoctrination in your head about about the way things are or could be um so it's been a it's been a real challenge for those 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 people but i'm you know immensely proud that that they're going to come through so the ones i i have sight of that they get they will come through the other side you know thankfully the examinations have gone out the window and it's teacher assessments and and hopefully they'll they'll quite rightly get get those those rewards that that they've worked so hard for to come through i have huge sympathy for some of our old students who've gone off to music college and who are you know having having been at music college um you know wanting to have that first year of playing and interacting and mingling and going to the, going to the bar or or whatever it is and they're stuck in a flat miles away from home having a having a zoom lesson or you know they might get a one-on-one -on -one lesson once a week and you know you know that's 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 not that's not why as musicians you go to 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 go and study you go to make music to make friends to to, to play and um you know I, I really really hope that the end of this thing is is in sight so that they can at least enjoy the rest of their their time and and you know get the the enjoyment that so many of us have benefited from over the years how are you feeling about the weeks and months ahead uh, I feel quite positive. Uh, I'm I'm one of the lucky ones. I had a I had a, a jab. I'm not I'm not of that age group. I'm someone who has taken uh, blood pressure tablets for 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 
25 years ever since joined phones um, and got kicked by Nick Hudson, entirely his fault. And um, so I don't have high blood pressure, haven't, haven't had it since 25 years ago. Um, but as a consequence of that, I've been I've been elevated on the uh, the, the jab, my arm cue. So I, I feel quite <laughs> I feel quite positive. Um, what's really encouraging is there seems to be a belief that towards the end of June, at some point or start of July, the, the social restrictions, certainly where we are, hope to be lifted a bit. And what's really nice is that having had nothing in the diary, playing wise or conducting wise, uh, there are there are already for the for the weekend after the twenty first of June, we're supposed to come up. We've got we've got concerts, we've got school performances, we've got things crammed in those last three weeks, which says to me there's huge desire to just get back to it. And we know it's going to be a bit rusty and it's going to be a bit clunky and it's probably not going to be the finest performance ever, but do you know what? It doesn't matter. I'm looking forward to it. On the 3rd of July, photons are supposed to be playing at Sandbatch Park. That's something that at the end of a very long year, we normally go, oh, okay, well, okay, it's, it's a gig, so we do it professionally, but oh, it just feels like one more thing. Do you know what? It's our first gig back is going to be Sandbatch Park. And I tell you, every single person up there will be looking for it's just playing it's going to be such a novelty so yes i feel after so long of not doing it i feel really quite positive about about the fact that hopefully in a couple of months time things are going to be opening up again that's it for this episode of bb on the record Thank you to John Barber, and thanks to you for listening. Do get in touch about anything you might have heard on the podcast. You can email info at britishbandsman.com. You can enjoy a digital subscription to British Bandsman. It costs just £42.99 for one year. That includes access to BB's exclusive Masterclass series, with recent contributions coming from the likes of Richard Marshall, Tom Hutchinson, Brett Baker and Kirsty Abbotts. Go to BritishBandsman.com and click on subscribe. As for this podcast, you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify. Join me next time on BB On The Record. Bye for now.